and welcome to the Turtle Tracks Podcast. This is your host, Brian Van Hooker. Uh, I did an interview last year with Townsend Coleman uh, for a magazine I worked for last year, but the magazine ended up folding and I got laid off and everything before I was able to run this interview. But uh, So it's kind of been burning a hole in my computer for the past year, and I figured why not turn it into a podcast episode because, well, it's Townsend Coleman and we all love him. So this is an interview I did with Townsend Coleman, um, the original voice of the 1987 Michelangelo. I guess to get started, if you don't mind sharing uh, how what, what first got you interested in acting. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I first got interested in acting when I was in fourth grade. And it was a, a class trip we took to go see a production of Peter Pan. And I remember sitting there in that theater thinking we were on Broadway. At, we were in Cleveland Heights. <laughs> but... But, uh, you know, this little fourth grader brain, you know, at 10 years old, didn't know the difference. And so, uh, so yeah, I just, uh, I was so enamored with that. And uh, on top of it, one of my buddies, one of my classmates, uh, older brothers was in this production. Now, it was a great production, uh, even though it was sort of a student adult uh, production at a place called Heights Youth Theater. They were still flying, you know, the actors and flying the kids and stuff. So it was just oh, wow. magical to me. And so I thought that my buddy's big brother was like a world famous actor. And, uh, and, and so I figured by extension, his, my buddy must be world famous as well. And so I prided myself on the fact that I knew somebody famous, <laughs> but that's, but that's what actually triggered me into wanting to be an actor. Uh, was seeing that production in fourth grade. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Were there any, um, you know, since you'd end up doing a lot of voice work, was there any uh, cartoons or anything like that that stood out to you as a kid? Or did you never or did you not see that as a connection yet? I didn't see it as a connection. I, you know, um, yeah, I at that point, I wasn't really into voices, although my dad was my dad and my mom were, uh, met working at NBC in you know, like 1950 and uh, in New York. And my dad wanted to be a network announcer uh, for NBC. And it never worked out for him. So he moved us to Denver uh, after I when I was about a year old. And um, he got on the radio there. And so I grew up uh, with an appreciation for uh, old radio dramas because my dad was totally into that. Um, comedy albums, just voices in general, uh, I think, because of my dad. And But at that point, um, when I was, you know, still a little kid watching cartoons and stuff, I didn't make the connection that, there were guys doing these voices. I still bought into the fact that, you know, Huckleberry Hound was somehow a, a real cartoon dog that lived somewhere, sure. you know, and just happened to sound like Doss Butler. Um, but, uh, yeah, but, you know, so when I was watching those cartoons as a kid, I didn't really make that connection. Even, I'll tell you honestly, even once I got into voiceover as an adult and I was on the radio in Cleveland, uh, which is where I discovered the freelance voiceover work. Um, I still didn't really put two and two. I mean, it's not that I didn't put two and two together. I mean, I knew who Mel Blanc was and Doss Butler and, you know, some of these real famous cartoon uh, voiceover guys, but, but I never connected it with myself. It was never, a, it was never on my radar. It was never a dream of mine to move out to Hollywood and, and do cartoons. Um I really never gave it any thought until I got my first audition uh, in 1985 uh, for Inspector Gadget. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, when I went and got that uh, uh, got that audition, and then subsequently ended up getting the part on, on uh, Gadget, um, I had so much fun doing that. I, I begged my agents to please send me on more of that kind of stuff because, uh, you know, I it really was an eye opener for me. You know, sitting there in the studio with Maurice Lamarche and Frank Welker and Don Adams, and uh, and me, and, you know, and 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 so. Uh, and so I thought, hmm, I wonder, you know, this this looks like it could be kind of fun. How did uh, Gadget end up on your radar? Did you request doing that or did they suggest? No, like- no my agent, I, I had been here six months from Cleveland and uh, I got an audition from my agent. My agent just sent me on this audition for uh, Inspector Gadget, uh, for not the role of Inspector Gadget, but the role of Corporal Cape Man. And... Uh, yeah, and so I went over to uh, Deke, met with Marsha Goodman, and she handed me to the copy, the the picture of the guy, and I thought, oh, this is interesting. I think I know what he sounds like. So I, I sat in her office, you know, with a little Radio Shack cassette machine and a Radio Shack mic, and uh, recorded my audition for her, and, and she laughed, and, and uh, we talked about it and made some adjustments. I did another one, and and uh, and she liked what I did, and a couple of days later, I found myself in a little studio over in Burbank with, uh, yeah, with Frank, Mo, and uh, and my buddy Don. <laughs> that's so great. What a great cast that was. I mean, like, that's... Yeah, okay. yeah it was. Um, it's funny. I didn't know about your dad wanting to be a network announcer, and then you ended up doing must-see TV, because you, you, so you got, got to... I don't know, you had that connection. Right, and the must-see TV thing came along. It was a fluke audition uh, that I got uh, when I was down in my agent's office talking to him, and uh, he got a call for... Uh, from a, a guy over at NBC looking for a particular sound. I happened to be standing there in his office. He handed me the phone and put me on the phone with a guy and had me do a sample for the for the gentleman. And uh, I did. And he said, "Hey, that sounds great. Can you come over here and uh, try it on a, on a on an actual promo at NBC?" And I said, "Sure. When?" And he said, "This afternoon." <laughs> and I I said, "Yeah, I, I'll, I'll be there." So I went over and did that, and uh, it was the first must-see TV um, uh, comedy promo. It was for when they were launching the John Larroquette show in the fall of 1993. Oh, wow. And uh, And so, uh, yeah, so they ended up putting it on the air and then uh, bringing me back and back and back and back. And before I knew it, I was sort of in over there at NBC after a couple of months, and then they threw the Tonight Show promos my way and uh, with Jay Leno and uh, – and that, uh, yeah, both those gigs ended up lasting for 16 years. So, yeah. Yeah, so I ended up becoming the comedy voice at NBC for all those years. And um, and and my dad couldn't have been prouder. You I was going to say, did he get to see it? That's so cool. Yes, he did. Ah, yeah, he, awesome. back in those days, yeah, he lived down in Florida at that point. And, and uh, he came out here a number of times, and I'd take him to The Tonight Show with me and take him down to the basement of NBC over in Burbank and, and give him the tour and he'd watch me work. And I, it was just, it was great. It was a, it was a great connection to have with him. That's so cool. A buddy of mine's a network. It was a network announcer for NBC, uh, Joel Goddard, who ended up doing Conan O'Brien. I don't know if you ever crossed paths with him at all, but he was, uh-uh. oh, he was the network announcer for a while. And then he was the Conan O'Brien's like <laughs> on, um, in-house announcer. So, but he was a network announcer for NBC. Yeah, he was like for, a for doing what, what kind of stuff in the eighties. He did um, kind of oh. everything, and then they did him a Dateline, and then uh, and then he for a little while, and then he was um, for Conan for seventeen years until Conan okay. 
Night Shift. Okay, yeah. So I know who the voice is from Conan. Um, but yeah. yeah, if he was doing network stuff in the 80s, that was um, before my tenure there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he, he was yeah. in the building until... Well, you would have been in L.A. anyway, because he was in New York, so that probably would have right. been... Yeah. Right, right, right. What was the sound they were looking for when they said on the phone, like, what they were looking for a certain sound? Do you know? You know, um, it was just a very dry, droll, uh, sort of a monotonous sound. They were starting this thing called Must See TV, and all they wanted was a, a, a guy um, who was just sort of throwing it away. Hmm. You know, when I get... It, it was sort of a... Uh, um, you know, after a long day of work at the office, all I want to do is come home and watch my must-see TV, just kick back in the chair, put my feet up, and have myself a, you know, a nice cold cold brewski. <laughs> uh, you know, is that, that kind of feel, um, which is what there, there was a, there was a sort of a prototype for that sound back then. And, uh, and so I did that because uh, I was doing a fair amount of work at the time using that sound. And and um, and when we actually got into the production studio at NBC and and um, and tried it on on the promo, uh, it it didn't really seem to fit because the promo had more energy than that. And mm. so and so the sound I so I had to sort of play with it for 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 a bit and uh and we kind of modified it. So we, we took that same guy with the same basic attitude, but just amped him up a little bit. Uh, not full on promo, um, as, as we think of promo or as we thought of promo back then. But, um, but uh, yeah, sort of, a, uh, sort of an amalgamation of, the, of, the, of, the, of a higher energy version of a low energy guy, <laughs> if, <laughs> if you get what I'm saying. Sure. Yeah, but it was just it was just a guy is just a guy talking is what they were looking for eventually. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, and ironically, yeah. when I lost the gig in 2009, they had been casting around for a new voice for about a year while I was there in my last roughly year there, and uh, and it was a little disheartening seeing them bring all these people in, you know, um, because what they said they were looking for was just a guy talking. <laughs> and so ironically, they were looking for what I ended up, what I originally had, had done to get the job there. But, but I, you know, but over the years, that sound had changed a lot because the energy of the promos was, was so big and so over the top, you know. So they, they you know, got a new, a new creative team in over there uh, after all those years and, and what they said they wanted was what they had said they wanted 16 years earlier when I first auditioned for the gig. So that's not something you can do. It's just a guy talking, right? <laughs> so, yeah, right, right, so right, right. Scratch. Well, and I got it too. You know, they, I mean, they they wanted to put their stamp on it, and they yeah. wanted to they wanted to make a change. And you know, it's that's the circle of life, isn't it? 16 years, hell of a long. Listen, run. no complaints, man. It was my family for a long time. Great people over there, and. You know, I, I still keep in touch with a number of them uh, to this day. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, uh, I wanted to ask you, of course, about about turtles. Um, can you mm -hmm. do you recall how that came about and what, what, any thoughts about it going in? Sure, I, I knew nothing about it um, going into it. We I was working on uh, Fraggle Rock uh, for the N <laughs> ironically the NBC uh, uh, animated version of Fraggle Rock, not the uh, hmm. not the cable. Um, Muppet version, the original version of it. Um, but so they were, um, uh, they had been looking for voice matches for that. And, and I got a, a, a part on that playing uh, Gobo, my buddy back there over my shoulder. Yeah. Um, 
And, um, and yes. And so our voice director on that, uh, uh, came in one day to a recording session, uh, uh, Fraggle Rock and pulled a copy of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comic book out of his briefcase and, and showed it to us. And he said, Hey, you guys, look, I'm going to be casting and directing this next. What do you think? <laughs> and we all looked at it and sort of, you know, skinnied our eyes at it and, and thought, well, yeah, okay. Whatever, you know, sure. <laughs> it just, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't strike us as being, or at least it didn't strike me as being something that I thought really had much in the way of legs. You know, back in those days, it was My Little Pony and Strawberry Shortcake and, you know, and then the Snorks, you know, it was sure. shows like that. So, so Ninja Turtles uh, seemed a, a, a little uh, rough around the edges. Um, and and it was the right place at the right time, you know. Stu brought us in to uh, audition for it, and uh, you know he we we all auditioned for all four turtles, and uh, I ended up getting Michelangelo, and uh, and uh, never looked back. You know, originally it wasn't uh, they didn't know on that when they brought us in for that first session whether it was going to be me as Michelangelo or Cam Clark as Michelangelo, um, and then and and conversely for uh, Leonardo. And they were just going to make up their decision. They were going to make their decision, make up their minds uh, at that first session. And uh, and so Stu, for our first pass of the recording, said, Tony, you do Michelangelo first and Cam, you do Leonardo first. And then we'll we'll do another pass after that and we'll switch. Um, but they just never ended up switching. And hmm. so I ended up having Michelangelo just, you know, I, 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 I drew the the short straw, I guess. It's funny. Uh, I spoke to Cam about that very same thing, and he thinks he just he's like you know for the next what ten years, everybody else had the good lines, and he was just saying, "Let's go, turtles!" You know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He's like, "We've got to do something yeah. fast." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, he was. God, everybody else got the good lines. <laughs> yeah. He he was always yeah because he didn't have a battle cry or anything, you know, or a catchphrase. So, so. <laughs> Yeah, so so Cammy groused about that for a while. I, I think he really wanted Michelangelo. Sure, yeah, it's more yeah. fun. Yeah, and at the time, I don't know that it would have made much difference to me. I didn't really know what Michelangelo would become. You know, it sure. wasn't it wasn't until we got into those uh, first couple episodes in that first five part miniseries we did as a pilot um, that I started to get a feel for what what Mikey could be, and uh, and then I started to become very protective of it. <laughs> what uh what influenced it like that, that voice i mean uh, well yeah well at the audition um on the audition notes what they said they were looking for was sort of a sean penn uh sound from fast times ridgemont high you know that's a uh, spicoli character he played sure. and um and so i just did my you know kind of best worst version of that and um uh, you know, and that, and so, and so that, I mean, that's where the surfer, you know, thing, the sort of the Valley dude kind of thing, you know, came from. And, uh, yeah. And, and then I just sort of took it from there. You know, what, whatever seemed to sort of feel right to me in that vein, uh, was really the genesis of Mikey. You know, I don't know if anybody's said this before, or I don't know, at least I feel this way. Maybe I'm alone, but like, I, I feel like with the rest of the turtles, up until the cartoon, they kind of had a broad idea of who they were, right? Donnie was already, in the early comics, Donnie was already the smart one. Leonardo was already leader. Raph was already pissed off about stuff. But Michelangelo didn't really seem to find until you had him. So I feel like what Mikey is, 
not that you know everybody else is a big part too, but I'm saying what, what Michelangelo is, it feels like it was figured out with you in a huge way. Interesting. Well, thanks for that. Um, I'll take that as a compliment. Uh, yeah, you know, I think, I, I think, I think the feeling was uh, perhaps early on, or for the comic books, is, is that Mikey was sort of the little brother, you yeah. know, uh, the and and kind of was tagging along. You know, the others had more. I think, as you said, more well-defined uh, characteristics about them, and they weren't quite sure what Mikey had, but. Um, yeah, but but the way they were writing him, they were clearly writing him as the party dude, you know, yeah. and and you know, kind of the silly one, and who always wanted to eat and love pizza, you know. So so he was just sort of, I don't want to say he was brainless. Uh, he was just innocent, you know. Sure. He was, yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you have any uh, particular memories from turtles that stand out to you? Oh gosh, Brian. I'm sure, there's. I I, yeah. I, I hate this question because. You know, there's there's a there's a million of them, and I can't think of a single one. Um, <laughs> uh, not okay. not really. You know, I mean, I just I, I think back over the days we worked in a number of different studios over the years, um, and uh, so it was always interesting. Sort of the different studio that we were in. It was interesting also following the the um, the arc of the show as it as it aged, you know, um, so those first six or seven years were, were sort of one feel. And, and then it was very interesting how they kind of, it felt like they really turned a corner and were going in a very different direction in those last, uh, two or three seasons of the show. And, uh, you know, and I, and I, you know, they were introducing new characters, uh, and, and so I thought, wow, I, you know, this is interesting. I've kind of never been a part of something like this when it makes this kind of change. Um, and I wonder where they're going with it. I wonder what sort of legs this thing still has, you know, and it went for a few more years and then they finally pulled the plug on it. As far as specific memories of uh, recording sessions and stuff, no, it was just always a lot of fun. It was just always great fun because we had such a great cast, you know, yeah. And, and a funny cast, very, you know, very lively and 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 smart and witty and and quick and facile, um, you know, as as most of the folks in animation uh, seem to be. And, you know, with some being more so than others, you know, but certainly, you know, having Pat Fraley in the studio and Rob Paulson and, you know, Cam Clark and 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 Barry and these guys. Um, and, 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 and God bless him, James Avery, um, mm -hmm. you know, all so clever and witty. And, and so there was always a great, a, a great, there was a great sense of laughter always in the, in the studio when we did these sessions, but there was always a great sense of family too. Mm -hmm. You know, we worked together for a long time and, and I mean, to this day, you know, the, the four of us original voices for the turtles are, you know, going out and doing a lot of cons, uh, around the country, around the world. And, um, you know, and that's been a blast. I mean, it's as if we kind of never missed a beat, uh, in all these, you know, last 30 plus years. Um, you know, we're, we're still such great friends and love, love being together, you know, and, and that certainly was born in the studio back when we were recording the show, but, but, but just maintained itself, you know, always brought in, they always brought in great guests. Uh, for the uh, inc incidental roles and and uh, and and uh, and other guests and uh, 
you know, and so it was, it was just a joy to go to work uh, every day on that, on that series. As a fan, I can say like, I, uh, it's particularly thrilling to see you guys together. I was at uh, Granite Con right before COVID hit uh, a couple of years ago. And um, the one up in New Hampshire. Yeah. And yeah, man, yeah. It was a great show. And uh, I have a fray uh, behind me there. I have a, a, a cell of each, one of each turtle, right? And I'm not a huge autograph guy. I just, cause it's, I don't know, I feel like it's an endless quest, right? But one year I had, right. I was at New York Comic Con and had Rob Paulson sign a Raphael. And I was like, shit, now I need to have the other, <laughs> otherwise my, my OCD brain will explode. So, right. Right. I, I signed my cells at, uh, at a granite con and man, that place was such a blast. And it kind of became like its own turtle con. It was, it's so cool to see you guys together and like, and, and doing these things so frequently. It's just, it's such a treat. So, yeah. Granite con was fun because I remember we had that pizza party with Kevin Eastman there. Yeah. And the big and, balloon uh, thing behind us. I yeah. Was you and me in front of that crazy balloon sculpture thing. Right. It was fantastic. Yeah. I, I just, I, I had a blast at that con. Yeah. That yeah, was super fun. That was a great one. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, same kind of question for the tick. How did that come on your radar? Um, same way everything else did, you know, through an audition from my agent. Uh, they they called and uh, sent me over to this uh, casting house for a for an audition, and uh, I read on it and uh, felt really good about it. Actually, did a couple of takes. Um, gave it uh, this the sense of what I felt the character was, and. Uh, and I didn't get it. I mean, they were, it was a big casting all around town. I didn't get it. They booked somebody else. And then, um, and then a couple of weeks later, I got a call from my agent saying, Hey, they're, they're looking at you again, along with a couple other guys for the tick again, they're recasting. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. And so they had done the first episode and, the, and then decided they wanted to make a change. And so they brought a couple of us back in to audition for it again. And I did, and uh, I, I read on it, and uh, ended up getting it, you know, the second time around. So, so yeah, the first time I missed it by that much, you know, but <laughs> but uh, but ended up getting it the second time around, and uh, found myself for that very first recording session because it was a re-record of just the tick, and uh, the ticks lines, um, because they'd already gotten everybody else. Uh, because the tick had so many scenes with Arthur, they brought Mickey Dolan's back in for oh, wow. that, or the re-record of that first episode because he was the voice of Arthur uh, at that point for the first season, and then and then you know and then me. So I end up you know there at the studio, over if I recall correctly, the Screen Music over in Studio City, and and uh, and it was just me and Mickey. Uh, in the studio together and I'd never met him before, but I was an enormous monkeys fan. Yeah. You know, ever when I was, you know, 12 years old and 19, I guess, uh, 1966. Yeah. When the show came on 12, 13, 14 years old, while that show was on the air, I was a big monkeys fan, but particularly a big um, Mickey Dolan's fan because I wanted to be a drummer. And, oh, cool. uh, and, and, and so of the, of the four, I felt like I most, uh, identified with him and and wanted to be like Mickey. So for me to, you know, not only get to work with him, um, but the really surreal part, Brian, was, was, you know, just it dawning on me that, wait a minute, I'm the superhero in this thing, and he's my sidekick. 
<laughs> wow. This, how did this happen? That's crazy. So, yeah. I'm going to so ask. That's the, how the, so, so that's how the tick came around. Yeah. What Again, the, from an audition, like every other show does. What was the, uh, is there anything that informed that, uh, the voice of the tick for you or any influence or? Yeah. Yeah. So, so when I was in high school, I was a big fan of, uh, of, a um, a, uh, an improv uh, comedy troupe uh, called the fire sign theater. Okay. And, and, uh, and they were enormous for us back in the early seventies. And, and back when I was, a, I think a junior, the big thing was to, to memorize their whole Nick danger third eye bit, which is about a 20 minute bit and to be able to do the voices. And so we challenge each other as, you know, as kids in high school um, to be able to do this. And, and, and I actually was able to do it pretty well. So I became a big fan of Firesign theater and particularly of this character, Nick danger. Uh, which was uh, done by Phil Austin um, back in those days, and and um, and it just lived with me uh, un until now. I mean, it's it's still in my in my melon, and uh, you know. So the Tick, when I looked at when I looked at what what the Tick was, and I looked at his lines and how bizarre some of them were, um, and what he looked like, I just thought, what a what a what a silly big doof this guy is yeah. you know but he but he doesn't know that he doesn't think that he thinks he's he thinks he's he thinks he's all that you know <laughs> it's sort of thing and uh and and so i was thinking of um a couple of guys that really to me felt like they filled that bill and that was gary owens of back in those days i was gonna guess gary um, owens i didn't want to yeah. i didn't want to presume but i was gonna absolutely guess. gary yeah. owens from laugh-in was my reference to gary owens although back in those days i actually knew gary because we were with the same agent um but as a kid growing up you know gary was that quintessential you know sort of over-the-top goofball announcer and then and then the other one was uh ted knight ted baxter on the oh, mary sure. tyler moore show yeah you know um again again that you know sort of hey mayor you know sort of the big officious kind of guy who was <laughs> yeah. really just nothing but marshmallow in in inside and uh and so it was really a combination it was a it was a, a, a melding of those of those three elements that um you know and a little bit of my own sense of humor i guess but uh yeah, so that's where it that's where that came from. It was a it was a stew of those guys. Man, that show, even so many years later, is so sharp and funny. <laughs> that it so holds up so well. That it show. sure does. And and whenever I go to a con, and people, you know, pe because people are coming to see the Ninja Turtles because they're billing us the four of us together. So that's sort of the draw at these cons for a lot of these fans, and they'll come up to my table. And they'll they'll see the either the banner behind me or the pictures on my table, and they'll see the tick there, and they'll go, "Were you on the tick?" Okay. And I said, "I said, yeah, actually, I was the voice of the tick," and they're like, <laughs> "Wait, what? You were the voice? You were the tick too? I didn't know that." So it, it's it's always fun, you know, seeing people's reactions, you know, when they they see some of the other characters that I've done because they're they're thinking that I you know pretty much was just Michelangelo on Ninja Turtles. And um yeah, and and so and and so that's 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 been a blast, you know, having people come up and 
and and start doing like you know if they're super fans they've got their favorite catchphrases or lines from the tick and stuff it's always hilarious to me to hear what people picked out from that show and mm. have hung on to all these years you know sure and and the number of people that i, I think i've turned on to the tick over the years they said well i got man i never even got a chance to see that i said well it's on hulu now if you care uh it's pretty funny or you can go buy the dvds <laughs> um although only only seasons uh seasons um one and two are out on dvd they never did put out season three trust me i know <laughs> uh, yeah 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 me too <laughs> so you, so, you yeah. think there's all those uh, crazy uh, uh, catchphrases and stuff. Is there any that stand out to you that like, I don't know. Well, I've, I've forgotten most of them. Sure. But, but there are, you know, um, uh, one of my favorite episodes was the tick versus the tick where Jim Cummings plays Barry who thinks he's the tick and he comes busting into this sidekicks, uh, not the sidekicks lounge, but this a superhero club. And uh, <laughs> it's like a nightclub for superheroes. And out back, there's a, a lounge for the sidekicks called it's the sidekick lounge. And um, and so Barry comes busting in the door. He says, he says, who's the jerk who calls himself the tick? And I say, I am that jerk. Who wants to know? <laughs> and then he says something. And I say, yeah, well, don't count your weasels before they pop, dink. It's <laughs> a pretty good one. <laughs> it's like such... Such great lines like that. Is there any particular uh, Michelangelo quotes that stick with you? Or is it just the catchphrases more so? Cowabunga! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Either that or anything to do with pizza. Sure. Whoa, Pete. Anchovy and hot fudge. That's my... Hey, Bri, what's your favorite pizza? Uh, I actually do love Hawaiian pizza, controversially. So. Stop it. <laughs> Not allowed. If you're talking pineapple on pizza, that is a no go. Uh, anything to say about Waldo, by the way? Waldo, my buddy Waldo. I have Waldo's shoes first now. To voice him, I should have checked that before we spoke. I'm sorry. Were you the first person ever to give him a voice? I think so. Yeah. Think, yeah. Yeah. In fact, I'm pretty sure. So, um, I, one of the coolest treasures I have is a uh, is is a little uh, a little hand drawn Waldo. Uh, that Martin Hanford did for me oh, uh, wow. as a thank you for for voicing him on the show. And uh, yeah, and he drew this. It's just Waldo just standing there, just waving like that. Okay. And uh, and with a little inscription from uh, Martin to me, thanking me for uh, doing the show. And uh, and then he framed it himself. It's just this, it's this tiny little thing. It's only about maybe four or five inches wide by maybe about seven or eight inches tall. And and it's just it's this little treasure hand drawn Waldo from the creator of Waldo himself. Um, so, yeah, when I when I got that show, they, you know, it, they 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 just wanted me to be me just like but a higher pitched, younger version of me. Very, very sort of um, uh, what, what's the word? Um, just innocent, uh, um, guileless. That really was it. You know, he's just wide eyed and he's an explorer. That's what he does, you know? And, uh, uh, hi, my name's Waldo and this is my dog Wolf. And, and so he just sort of lived up there and was just nothing but wide eyes and big eyebrow eyebrows and a lot of smiles and, and, uh, 
just the eternal, the eternal happy face. <laughs> Did, was there any discomfort doing a voice like, like, cause you, you've done so many character voice. Well, you were also on the radio too. So maybe not, but like, I know some people like felt more comfortable doing crazier character voices. And if it got closer to home, it was like harder. I don't know if that makes sense, but it does make sense. And, and, and yes, because you feel like, no, I've got to, I've got to give it some spin. I've got to give it some, sure. some edge, some something. So it doesn't just sound like me, you know, but I did a number of series where it was really just me when I did, um, when I did Teen Wolf, uh, in 1986, yeah. uh, and played, uh, you know, um, uh, I was going to say Marty McFly, a uh, different, a different Michael yeah. J. Fox role. <laughs> I played Scott Howard, uh, you know, the kid who turns into Teen Wolf, um, uh, again, the Michael J. Fox part in the movies, um, they didn't want me to try and do a Michael J. Fox impression, which is just as well because I can't. I'm not an impressionist by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but they just wanted me just to be me. You know, mm. so it's just me talking is just, you know, me just being being a, a young kid in high school is all it was. Cool. And um, and so it was largely the same with Waldo. Um I work on a, a long-running radio drama uh, for Focus on the Family called Adventures in Odyssey, and mm -hmm. I play a character named Jason on that, and it's the same thing. I've been doing this character for, for probably 25, 26 years now, and, and uh, it's just me. Oh, you know, it's just me too. yeah. So, so I've, I've certainly you know gotten a, or or back then got used to that fairly quickly of not feeling like I had to, you know throw a real curveball into this character in order to in order to sell it um you know and that's also when i started you know learning and watching you know some of the pros in the business uh it's not about it's not about doing it's not about the voice hmm. really it's about the acting and it's about it's about being believable in whatever voice you you choose and and then that voice has to you know remain consistent and has to be able to be believable uh, as you act the character using that voice, you know, so, so, you know, for folks wanting to get into animation, you know, I always, I always tell them right off the top, it's, it's not about doing the silly voice. You can, you know, we can always come up with silly voices all we want, you know, but can, can you sell it? You know, can you, can you work it? Can you make them a, a real fleshed out character or can't you, you know? So, um, yeah, so that's that. <laughs> no, that's perfect. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you this early on. You know, when you started doing uh, early voice work like like Fraggle Rock and stuff, was there any particular mentor or anybody who really helped you kind of learn the ropes a bit that you wanted to mention? Or uh, no, nobody. I, I I can't say I had a mentor mm. uh, per se, and nobody that really sort of took me under their wing and you know kind of taught me the craft. It was really just me. Listen, Brian, I, like I said, when I moved out to L.A., I had no I had no uh, uh, designs of getting into animation, doing cartoon voices at all. It just wasn't on my radar. Sure. So when they sent me on this audition and I got it, I mean, I was just thrown into the pool and I had to start to learn how to swim. So it was at audition. I'm not I'm sorry, not audition. Well, auditions a little bit when I would watch uh, other guys audition, um, which happened occasionally. Um but when I was at sessions, when I would get jobs and was actually in the studio and, you know, with some of these just tried and true pros uh, who've been doing it forever, uh, you know, and then there was a, a gaggle of us, uh, 
you know, younger kids who are coming up, you know, in our, our early thirties at the time, um, here in town, it was a fairly small community of voiceover actors back then who, who were doing animation. And we kind of pretty much all knew each other or knew who each other was. And, and, um, you know, and kind of you got to know who your competition was and what their sort of specialty was. And, you know, you got to know their personalities, but, but it was really working with these, with these cats over the years um, and watching them in the studio and watching how they did what they did was really where I learned more than anything, you know, and of course, developing friendships along the way, you know, but I'd watch guys. I mean, like for instance, Pat Fraley pops to mind, you know, when, when I think about it, uh, Pat and I became good buddies back during turtles and, and, uh, and I would watch him work and he's so, uh, and he's certainly not alone in this, but he's so, uh, inventive mm. and so creative and pulls stuff out of the air that I just, I just don't, my mind just doesn't think like that. You know, I don't think funny like so many of these guys do, you know, I'm not a comedian and you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty run of the mill voice actor, I think. You know, uh, beg the different, but go on. <laughs> well, because you know, I I got thrown into it, and and I'll be honest with you, you know, I got uh, you know kind of freaked out after a couple of years because then I started, you know, it was like ignorance really was bliss for me because I didn't know what the business was about, and I didn't know who populated it, mm. and I didn't realize who I was going to be up against, so to speak. And when I say up against, I don't mean going out for the same roles necessarily. But just being in being in the room, being in the studio where everybody is on mm. and and they are just, you know, the the liners, the one liners are just in the ad libs are flying fast and furious. And these guys, they just get each other laughing. And I just felt like I couldn't compete, mm. you know, and, and so I would sort of sit back and 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 be an audience, a very appreciative audience, but an audience nonetheless, not really so much a participant, you know. Um, because these guys, you know, you, you get guys like, you know, Rob Paulson and, and Pat Fraley and Jim Cummings and Jess Arnell and, and Jeff Bennett and, and Frank Welker. I mean, the, just the, the list goes on and on and on of, of, of these really, really top tier um, voiceover people, top tier actors in this uh, and not, not just voice actors, but I mean, real, you know, solid dyed in the wool actor, actors, um, it's like when you're in the studio with these guys, you, you just learn a hell of a lot. You, you know, you have to just by watching them and trying to keep up with them, you know? Um, but that's also what's made this business such a joy for me is, is to feel like, Oh my gosh, I get to work with these guys. I get to count many of them as, as really great friends, you know? And it's like, I shake myself, I pinch myself and, and just think how in the world did I how in the world did I get here? How did in the world did this kid from Cleveland Heights, Ohio, you know, end up being able to kind of live his dream and a dream in, in some ways I didn't even know I had, mm. you know, if you'd asked me back when I was in Cleveland, if I wanted to go out to LA and do cartoon voices, I would have, I would have sort of, I would have lit up and go, Oh, well, that sounds like that could be fun, but it wouldn't have been, I, I wouldn't have said, yeah, I'm going to move out there to do that. Sure. Because it wasn't it wasn't in my wheelhouse, you know, even though I, I used to do characters on the radio occasionally. But uh, but this is this is this is very different. 
You know, my last question for you is if there's any other particular character or anything that you got to do that, that I don't know, holds a place with you I don't, from, from anywhere. I'm just curious if anything else stands out to you. Um, um, yeah, you know, I often um, mention this, uh, it's, it was a commercial uh, character that I did, but it was an interesting character to do. It was interesting how I did it um, because it was just one session that I did for 7-Up uh, where they they were replacing the, the voice of the spot. Uh, sure. The spot's name is uh, the red 7-Up spot. His name is actually technically Cool Spot. And... Uh, and so I was doing the voice. Uh, I was the voiceover on the uh, Kellogg's Frosted Flakes commercials back then. Mm. And uh, this is at some point in the 90s. And uh, and and so the the uh, producer from the ad agency at, in Chicago was in town. We were doing the uh, Kellogg's uh, Frosted Flakes spots. And he says to me after we finish, he says, uh, Townsend, are you willing? Uh, uh, not are you willing? Uh, um, are you are you? Um, uh, familiar with the seven up dot and the, the character the side he kind of you know does this gibberish and kind of squeaky squealy stuff i said yeah i've seen the spots i said well we have to replace the guy who is doing that because he's leaving the agency and we can't we can't continue to use him mm-hmm. and so i don't feel like going through a big casting process to recast him and i know you do a lot of animation would you be willing to just lay a little sample down on tape that I could take back to the agency and play for them. <laughs> and I was thinking, would I be willing? What are you nuts? Of course, I'll give you whatever you want. What do you need? And so we talked about it and I, you know, I did a little bit of the gibberish for them and they, they dug it and they, they ended up booking me a couple of days later. And I went and I did this one session lasted about an hour. And we just, all they wanted was to build a library of these sounds of of cool spot, you know, doing his <laughs> you know, I mean, just that kind of stuff. They wanted just various scenarios. Maybe he's climbing up a cliff. He's falling off a cliff. He's swimming in the ocean. He's surfing. He's, you know, running on the sand. It's just all that kind of stuff. And f- and for like six or seven years, they they built a handful of spots, like six seven spots a year. Wow! For that duration, from just that library, That's and like- yeah, and it was it was just like such a c- cool thing. You know, it's the kind of thing where you you don't you don't get that a chance to do something like that, and that's iconic, and that people have seen you know, and no, they just don't know you, you know, but they know the product and they've seen the commercials. And, and so it's really cool to be a part of something like that, but to have, but to have, I mean, that, that was a real cash cow, that one, you know, for (laughs) for basically an hour's worth of work. Sure, It was great. They did bring me back for one more session that there was only about a half hour where I needed to do stuff specifically for the arcade game. I was going to ask you, did you do the video game? Because there's this weird video yes. game of Spot, where who knows why. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly, right. Why, why? would they do a, a, a full-on, you know, hardware arcade game yeah. uh, for, for Cool Spot from 7-Up, of all things? But, yeah, so, uh, yes, I did the video game for that, and uh, and that was a blast. That was a blast <laughs> to do. It was a blast to be a part of it. More sounds of just him 
Yeah, the same thing, but all, although they were looking for very specific things for the game because of the way the gameplay worked. Um, mm. But it was cool, you know, taking my kids into arcades and, you know, seeing the cool spot arcade, it's a cool spot arcade there. And, uh, and know that, that was me on there and then walk past the Ninja Turtles arcade and know that that wasn't me on there. The character that speaks. I could have been a contender. But, the character uh, that speaks. And has yeah, actual words to that's say. actual words. I did get, to, <laughs> I get, I did get to do that with the tick. Yeah, so oh, I did the, okay. I did the tick video game, and that was, and that was fun. And the toys, you know, when you get a chance to do the toys, like for instance, my buddy, my my talking tick right here. Oh, nice! Big sixteen inch. Let me see if he still works. <laughs> There you go. That's great. So, yeah. So evil is a foot. And then he says, ooh, gross. I think it's so cool they got you for that. Because I feel like so often, at least, I don't know, for a lot of toys, they just kind of get, you know, whoever's in the building at the toy factory to, or whoever to do those things, you know? Yeah, that's that's yeah. true. And and it was it was a, a pisser back in the early days of Ninja Turtles when they started coming out with a, a couple of talking turtle uh, toys that weren't us. Nope. And it was like, come on, you guys. And I don't remember. They actually did get us for for one of the talking toys. And I don't remember what it was. I'm sure I've got a copy of it in a trunk somewhere that that's unsealed. You know, I get these things when I was doing Waldo. In fact, Waldo, they came out with a very cool talking Waldo doll that was probably about, you know, 18 inches tall. And but the cool thing about it that I've never been able to experience or hear um, because I never opened them. I, I, I wanted to keep him sealed and pristine. But but the way the technology that they used for the talking Waldo doll was the little plastic records, like a little, pla you know, like a little oh, like you see in that most recent um, Toy Story movie. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so it came with like uh, two or three discs, you know, that you would slide into a slot in his back and, you know, push the button and the disc would spin and uh, and and he would talk, you know. And so all those phrases were somehow, in, you know, impregnated into the, these plastic discs. And, and then you got to put it. But I never got a chance to hear them because uh, I never wanted to open sure. open the toy. So. It's so funny. Yeah. I always remember hearing those off-brand voices. Like I had the turtle communicator and that, that wasn't you on that thing. Right. Or, right. I had this uh, cassette tape, which was like the comic book, I don't know, transcribed or no, not uh, recorded over. And it was all these weird voices and a British shredder, which was the strangest thing. <laughs> right. So weird. I don't know why they didn't. I, I could never understand the thinking. Now, of course yeah. I couldn't because I was the actor and it, you know, should all revolve around me. But <laughs> um, but but back then I couldn't understand the thinking or the reasoning and the rationale behind some of these decisions that these that these creatives made at, you know, the agencies or the toy companies or the whatever. Um, why they because it was it was like we never even got a phone call. It's like yeah, they never so even they called. Even, I'm guessing they didn't even offer you to pay less. They're just like, yeah, we don't. Who cares, right? No, they never even called our agents to find out are they available? How much would they cost? You know, can we get them? Um, never even got those calls. I'll tell you, the big one was when we heard. Uh, in fact, I think it, it. I, I think I found out about it by reading a blurb in either Variety or Hollywood Reporter uh, back in. 
probably 1990. When did the first Ninja Turtle movie come out? 93, I 90, think. 90. Oh, in 90. Okay. So then would, that's right. So it would have been in like probably 89 sometime. Read a blurb that there was going to be a, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie coming mm. out. And it was a live action movie. And I think they might have even had a picture of what the suits looked like. And I looked at that and I thought, oh, cool. We're going to get to do a movie. Sure. You know, because I thought, well, you know, they're, they're in suits are obviously going to be the, the voices. And obviously we are the voices. We've been on the air for three years and it was a very popular show at the time. And, and so we, I talked to the other guys at one of the, our recording sessions and, and uh, you know, we all were just waiting for a call from our agents sure. and we waited and waited and waited and finally said something to our agents, you know, that we knew that there, were, that there was this uh, Ninja Turtle movie coming out and they had to be using us because we were the only Ninja Turtles there were for the voices. Sure. And, and so our agents looked into it and they said, nah, they don't want you. They, 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 they want to go in a different direction. They don't want the, the, the sound, the, the voices from the cartoon because they don't want to be associated with a cartoon, even though it's the same franchise. Right. They want to have their own feel. And we're like, what? That yeah. can't be. I mean, the kids, when the kids go see this movie and they hear other voices, they're going to be totally confused. That makes no sense at all. What, what, what's going on? We don't know. That's just what they said. You know, so that's, that, that was, that was the real blow for us. I mean, we were already getting aced out of commercials and, sure. you know, yeah. video games and stuff like that. But to be aced out of the movie, the first movie that came out, we're like, this can't be right. Somebody do something. It should have been Cam Clark saying, we've got to do something fast. <laughs> I assume if you ever see, uh, if you ever saw Robbie wrist in the street, you two got into a fight. and <laughs> Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite pictures. Oh gosh. I'm going to bring this up and now I'm going to regret it because I can't remember uh, who, who was it. It was, uh, Oh, Oh, uh, I got a picture of me, Robbie wrist and Greg Sipes together. Okay. So we've got these, th you know, three of the Michelangelo's at least, That's cool. uh, in one shot. Yeah, it was, it was great. It was down at the improv for a, a special evening they had down there. Um, well, anyway, Townsend, I've kept you longer than I promised, uh, but it's I've got, it's such a pleasure to talk to you. So I, I think I'm all thank set you, here. Thank you so much for your time. I, I really appreciate it. All right, man. My pleasure. Yeah, thank you.